One of my favorite places to visit is a little bitty city. <laughs> it's really not little anymore. It's, it's a larger city. It's called Bethlehem. Bethlehem is in the west bank of Israel, just a few miles outside of Jerusalem on the southern eastern side of the city. I found it to be one of probably the most interesting places in all the earth for me. At least my experiences there, every time I've gone, has just been awe-inspiring. Among the hills just outside of that city of Bethlehem, there is a location that's called the Shepherd's Fields. It is there that, that they still have sheep and a few goats, but mostly sheep that, that roam those hills, and the shepherds are there with them as well in the midst of highways and byways and houses that are popping up. What amazes me is that one of the most eventful moments in all the history of the world took place right there. The scripture tells us that there was a multitude of, of angels that appeared with the angel that night as he was communicating with the shepherds what was about to take place. This, the, they, they've estimated by that wording that probably somewhere near a hundred million angels <laughs> filled the sky above those fields. And I'm just, I'm amazed. And what amazes me even more is nobody over in Bethlehem even saw it. God is just so phenomenal in what he does. And that, that, that sky was filled with these angels as a massive heavenly choir singing glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I mean, it was this encounter that evening with the shepherds that, that the shepherds were told about the Christ child being born. And, and they were told where they were supposed to go and look for him and, and how they would find him, that he would be there in Bethlehem. And so they began that journey that night, going back over the hills into Bethlehem proper, I guess, as we might call it. And they were looking for a manger with a baby laying within that manger, wrapped in swaddling cloths. It's interesting to me that locations are important to us. They're significant to us about, I did this there and I did that there, and we, we mark our own life's history based upon places that we've been. But significant is this location here in Bethlehem that still, after all these years, people may possibly still be searching for that location. There's a lot of ideas of where it is, but there has been a settlement on a certain spot there in Bethlehem. One thing we know that it may not have been a wooden stable. It may have been an ancient cave that was there in the hillsides. But that word stable is not even used in the narrative of Scripture about this event. The only wording is used is that word manger. It gives us the understanding that in a manger, you most likely would put that in a stable where you are taking care of animals and feeding them. 
it's natural to assume that we might then believe that Jesus was born in a stable. And so Luke tells us that the shepherds would find this baby lying in a manger. Which means he would be lying in this feeding trough. Now this manger is mentioned twice here in the book of Luke in this story of, of the birth of Jesus. Once when the angels say you'll find him lying in a manger and the second time Luke says the shepherds went and they found him lying in a manger. Roman historians during that first century they began to pinpoint a cave there in Bethlehem that is believed to have been the location where this wondrous event took place. Wouldn't it have been amazing if you begin to think about this stable, this cave, this place for the animals, that if you'd have gone back over a thousand years and we would find David as a shepherd, keeping watch over his father's flocks there in Bethlehem amongst those fields. And he, he may have himself wandered into that cave for shelter at night with his sheep. Or, or he may have even penned that wondrous psalm, the 23rd psalm, which talks about a good shepherd. Maybe we see on another occasion David was in this same region, in that cave area, and he might have wandered in there and began to write another psalm, Psalm 22, in which describes the scene of a crucifixion. How fitting it would be that the one whom he spoke about would be born in such a location. And it's just my mind wandering and thinking, what if? However, what we can be certain about is that somewhere among those hills in Bethlehem, Jesus, a descendant of David, conceived in Mary by the Holy Spirit, was born in an unspecified location, in a stable where animals would have been sheltered. And, and for us today, it just makes a wonderful backdrop, doesn't it? When we send out our greeting cards and we, we have our, our pictures and, and all that, just a stable. There's something comforting about it. There's something warm and inviting about it. So we see all of our nativity sets. They portray this wondrous event. And there, amongst all of that, there, there are all the shepherds and, and the animals and Mary and Joseph. And there's the star that shines and it's gleaming its light down upon them as, as the glory of God is shining forth from the face of this child. I was brought up out in Beaufort on a family farm, and, and, and I got to spend a lot of time out in our barn and in our horse stables. And, and I can tell you one thing, as wondrous as they may look and as, and as inviting as it seems, they just don't smell too good. And, 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 and here we have this most glorious event taking place in all of history. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph would have preferred to have taken up residency somewhere in another location for that evening, such as an inn or, or maybe a home or a guest house or, or someplace that might even been crowded with people, but yet there was no room for them there. And so this stable would be sufficient. They've been traveling for several days, and I'm sure that they could have fallen asleep anywhere, but 
Sleep wasn't on the agenda that night. There was something else that was about to transpire. And Mary was fully prepared to deliver a baby that evening. And they were desperate to find a place. And they found a stable. So what happened? The Son of God was born not in the soft confines of a royal bed in a palace, nor in in a comfortable setting with a watchful eye of a midwife in a house or or, or a guest room someplace, nor under any of those circumstances, but in a stable most likely surrounded by the animals of the traveling guests who were staying there at the end. Ironically, this place that ushered in peace on earth to all men would later become a battlefield of sorts. By the year A.D. 135, it's about a hundred years after Jesus was crucified, the Romans were at their wit's end with ongoing riots in the Judean province there of Rome and, and, and their empire. And Hadrian, who was the emperor of Rome, he would decide to send a, a, a ruthless message to the people there. And he would do some ungodly things to some of their local places where they were to worship and, and they felt were sacred and honorable places. It was in such places as this stable, as this cave... It's to believe to be the birthplace of Jesus that he would desecrate the most. But Hadrian kind of missed the whole purpose of this humble location. See, it was here that we discovered the humility of our Savior. It was here that we see the beginning of God's forgiveness for all mankind. Not only for us today, but the forgiveness for Hadrian if he would seek it. Forgiveness for Mary and Joseph and the shepherds who were there that night and the wise men who were traveling there on their journey to to come and behold this king. Forgiveness that was initiated even for those who would pierce his side and drive the nails into hands and his feet. You see, the power of Christ's love would overshadow even this act of desecration that Hadrian would do here in Bethlehem. You see, the emperor's scouts told him of an exact location where the people believed that this Jesus was born in a cave. And and to him, Jesus was simply just this founder of this Christian movement that was talking all about this God king here in the world. And and, and it was just making things worse for him. To make things stranger, this king that they're speaking about years before, had been crucified on a cross in Jerusalem, and and he was buried. But they keep talking about the fact that somehow he came back to life, and he is still alive today. And to prove that this was not true, he was going to do something about it. So when Hadrian's men located the cave, he erected a temple over it to Jupiter and Venus. And that'll show them, he thought. While Hadrian faded into history, this Jesus, he didn't. Matter of fact, 
he changed the world more than any other Caesar, Roman emperor, ruler, dictator, king, conqueror this world had ever seen. Just simply not by warfare, but by love and by grace and by humility. Exactly 200 years after Hadrian, in the year 325, a new emperor of Rome... Constantine would travel down to Bethlehem himself to see this place that he had heard of that was possibly the stable area in which Jesus was born. And when he got there, he recognized the the construction of this ungodly temple was there. And so he had it destroyed and he built a church to worship Jesus on that very spot. Eventually, the Christians would come back and they would worship there once again. But years later, the Persians would invade that region, and they would tear down that church that Constantine had built. The Christians would rebuild it. And then the Turks came in, and they took down that church that had been rebuilt. And finally, the Church of the Nativity which stands there today, was built by the Crusaders as they were coming in to conquer the land once again for Christ. And they put a foundation that began to erect the church of the nativity there. It's recently as the spring of 2002, that specific site has still been a battlefield. You see, in April and May of that year, militants of Palestine had gone in and had taken hostages and had invaded that church and war broke out within that community. For 39 days they occupied it. Israel responded with snipers killing seven and wounding 40 others before there was once again peace in that community. What may be the location of the birth of Christ has become a center of bloodshed in which his was the only blood that was to be shed. We realize that this is why he was born, to give his life so ours would not have to be taken. Even in times of peace, this massive, imposing chapel that is there today in Bethlehem is far cry from the humble stable which the Son of God was born in. He came in simplicity rather than extravagance. He came to bring peace to the world and to reconcile us in love and not to, to create and, and to create a place where there would be no hostilities, where there would be no hatred, and it would be a center of love and joy and peace. And the very sight has become a lesson for us in demonstrating why we needed Jesus so much to be born in this world. So unassuming and humble was this birthplace of Jesus that we can't honestly be certain of his exact location. Since the site that we celebrate today was determined back in the first century, it's quite possible this was the place. But however, do we really need to know where Jesus was born? Because it's not about a cradle in that stable. But he is to lie within the cradle of each one of our hearts. To bring peace to us individually as well as collectively. 
Whatever men may construct on that site, it's immaterial. Other men may come in and tear it down. But what the Lord builds in your heart, no man can tear down. Because you realize that no one and nothing can separate you from the love of God. And what He does in your heart, in humble circumstances, is wondrous. Why a stable? Well, Christ chose a stable so that He might be able to identify with those who were the least of these with the poor, with the vulnerable, with the, with the weak and the unassuming. He demanded none of the world's comforts or protections, and he came exposed from the very first moment of his birth in this world to all the threats and the dangers that the world would throw at him, and so he remained until they led him to the cross. And he suffered and he died for us. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul makes this statement. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you by his poverty might be made rich. We come this evening to celebrate the birth of our Savior, the one who brings light into the darkness of this world. And I pray that he has the ability to lighten your heart so that you can see clearly through the world's cover and the shadow that is so foreboding in our age that what you see is the light of life. John, in his description of Jesus coming into the world, writes in the Gospel, the book of John, this statement, Beginning in verse 4, he says, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. For there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." We come to our time now to light our candles. The fellows would come forward. I pray that within you the light of the world, Jesus Christ, is able to shine brightly in your life as you are the light of the world that they might see Jesus. Jesus.